Okay, welcome back again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of July 29th from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And boy, is there an absurd sense of hubris to all of this talk in the media now about how Biden is, quote-unquote, ending the war in Afghanistan, as the war is actually escalating. I mean, it's Orwellian defiance of reality, and it's also ugly imperial narcissism, as if, you know, if the United States isn't there, the war doesn't matter. The Afghan lives on the ground don't matter. And this uh, reality-denying little piece of rhetoric is engaged in by absolutely everyone on the left, the right, and the center. And there's also a very disturbing sense of deja vu to the whole thing, because we've gone through this so many times before. We saw identical headlines about how the U.S. was, quote-unquote, ending the war in Afghanistan in December 2014. Does anybody remember that? When the U.S. pulled combat troops out, leaving only advisors and continuing to carry out airstrikes, of course. And, you know, it didn't end any war. <laughs> exactly the opposite. And nobody even remembers it today. The same exact reality-denying, hubristic headlines that we're seeing now, we saw back in December of 2014. The U.S. is ending the war in Afghanistan. Ay, ay, ay. And then um, December of 2011, we saw the same headlines about Iraq, how the U.S. was ending the war in Iraq, when, again, U.S. combat troops were withdrawn, leaving advisors, military contractors, etc. And uh, what happened? Obama, in his haste to make good on his uh, campaign promise of withdrawing from Iraq, left the Shiite supremacist regime of Nouri al-Maliki in power which antagonized the Sunnis and led to the emergence of a new insurgency and undid all of the work that had been done in essentially buying off the Sunni insurgents and incorporating them into, you know, militias that were collaborating with the regime. All of that work was undone. I mean, the Sunni insurgency had not, under Bush, been defeated militarily. It was essentially bought off. And all that work was undone after the U.S. pulled out. And a new insurgency emerged, which eventually became the so-called Islamic State, ISIS. And things actually got much worse in Iraq than they had been even under the U.S. occupation. And then, of course, U.S. troops officially returned to Iraq with the campaign against ISIS in 2014. So, uh, you know, to quote the immortal Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. Because here we are with all of this talk about, um, you know, how Biden is ending the war in Afghanistan as the Taliban is advancing. And there is actually talk about Kabul, the capital, actually falling to the Taliban in the months to come. And more and more commentators, both media figures and diplomats, seem to just be taking it as a fait accompli that the Taliban are going to return to power. And there's this sense of real politic about it, you know, uh, 
again, on left, right, and center alike, that, you know, at least the U.S. will be out. And it's only, you know, those lonely voices in human rights organizations and civil society groups on the ground in Afghanistan, which are raising the alarm about what a Taliban takeover would mean to the people on the ground. The gains for women in Afghanistan over the past 20 years, which are limited, but real, stand to be quickly and thoroughly reversed. And for the Hazara people, the Shiite ethnic minority in the central mountains of Afghanistan, the Taliban retaking power could mean genocide. I don't take that word lightly, but in fact, there was a genocide against the Hazaras when the Taliban were in power in the 1990s. The mass graves in central Bamiyan region were uncovered by forensic teams after the Taliban fell, and clearly their genocidal intent has not significantly diminished, at least. Recall, back on May 8th, explosions outside a high school in a Hazara district of Kabul killed at least 50 people, mostly Hazara schoolgirls. Although it's possible that that attack was not carried out by the Taliban, but by ISIS, which has now also established a so-called emirate in Afghanistan. Here's a little bit of heartening news in a very, very grim situation. I'm going to read a little blurb that I wrote up for my website, Counter Vortex. On July 5th, Afghan women take up arms against Taliban. As the U.S. withdraws and the Taliban advance across large stretches of Afghanistan, women are taking up weapons in local militias to defend their villages. In Gore province, Ethnic Hazara women posed for social media photos, wielding rifles and rocket launchers, pledging to resist by arms a return to, quote, the dark era of the Taliban, end quote. With U.S. and NATO forces evacuating Bagram Air Base, prelude to a full withdrawal by September 11th, the Taliban are rapidly seizing territory. Since launching a spring offensive, the Taliban have doubled their area of control. That's what I wrote on July 5th, which is now uh, more than three weeks ago. So presumably, it's been more territory still since then. So back on uh, July 5th, I wrote that they now hold nearly 100 of Afghanistan's 407 districts. In retreat, the central government is calling upon civilians to form militias to fight back. The women of Gore province would be doubly at threat from the Taliban, both as women and as Hazaras. Okay, I should also note that since then I have become aware that Iran is also backing a Hazara militia in Afghanistan. The uh, so-called Fatamiyun Brigade, which is primarily drawn from... Uh, Shiite Afghan refugees in Iran, and also from members of the um, Hazar communities within Afghanistan. So uh, I am not sure if these women militias in Gore province are integrated into the Fatah Miyun Brigade. I'm going to assume not, 
because they appear to be uh, very self-organized, but I don't know. A question I need to look into more. All right, I'm going to have a few words to say about um, the whole question of um, predictions about what a post-withdrawal Afghanistan could look like. Uh, because generally, I avoid making predictions. Again, I'm going to quote Yogi Berra. I don't make predictions, especially about the future. Making predictions is a dangerous business, especially if you, uh, you know, take yourself at all seriously. I pointed out before that there is a uh, whole coterie of media commentators who have made a virtual career for, you know, the past um, almost 20 years now of, uh, you know, predicting an imminent U.S. or Israeli military attack on Iran. I've called them out before on my website. I'm just going to mention their names yet again. Jeffrey Goldberg, Scott Ritter, Webster Tarpley, David Petraeus, Benny Morris. Obviously, a very, very diverse crew, again, because this uh, pathology affects all different ends of the spectrum. But they all have in common that they've repeatedly made predictions of an imminent attack on Iran. And then, you know, they never come back later and admit that they were wrong. They just happily make the same prediction again a few months later, after everyone's forgotten, <laughs> and, and once again win a bunch of easy hits on their damn websites. It's utterly dishonest. So uh, generally, you know, I avoid making predictions. I just kind of let the facts speak for themselves um, <clears throat> as much as I can. But uh, there are a few times that I've bent the rule, and I'm going to point out one time where I sort of made a prediction and was, unfortunately, utterly vindicated when I repudiated those who were predicting back 15 years ago that everything would just be peachy keen in Iraq if only the U.S. were to withdraw. Okay, I'm going to note a couple of things that I wrote on my website countervortex.org. Back in the day, first I noted um, in, uh, in 2005 that Robert Fisk just wrote for The Independent on September 15th, 2005, quote, there will not be a civil war in Iraq. There never has been a civil war in Iraq. In 1920, Lloyd George warned of a civil war if the British army left just as the Americans now threaten the Iraqis with civil war if they leave. As early as 2003, American spokesmen warned that there would be a civil war if U.S. forces left, end quote. I wrote in response to that, how interesting that Fisk actually agrees with the sanguine statements of Bush. The terrorist will fail, Bush told a Rose Garden press conference September 28th, See, the Iraqis want to be free, quote-unquote. So both the anti-war left and the White House have something invested in denying the reality in Iraq. For the left, the admission of imminent civil war would be a concession to an argument for continuing the occupation. For the White House, it would be an admission of defeat and error. But nothing is to be gained by willful blindness. By any objective standard, there was already a civil war in Iraq. Thus, I wrote in October 2005, noting the um, cycle of sectarian Sunni-Shiite violence, which was then escalating. 
even as Robert Fisk wrote those sanguine and denialist words. But um, about a year after that, I made more of a flat prediction, writing in October 2006 in a review of a book entitled Understanding Iraq by William Polk, who is a uh, veteran diplomat and put out one of the many, you know, quickie primers on Iraq, which were coming out at that period for obvious reasons. And it was a worthwhile book, certainly in his uh, detailing of the uh, sectarian Sunni-Shiite divide-and-conquer ploy, which was um, employed by the British occupation of Iraq after World War I, and then again by the Saddam Hussein dictatorship. But Polk also engaged in this kind of, you know, sanguine prediction. He wrote that... Um, if the U.S. were to withdraw, as France did from Algeria, quote, fighting will quickly die down as it did there and in all other guerrilla wars. When the Americans leave, the attacks will cease. And in response to this, I wrote, I'm now quoting my own words from October 2006, writers should be wary of predicting the future. If we are to advocate a U.S. withdrawal, we must prepare ourselves for the possibility that it could initially lead to an increase in violence, as sectarian factions perceive that the political order is up for grabs. The U.S. has played a divide-and-rule card at least as aggressively as either the British or Saddam and the cost in local reprisals has been far worse, actually becoming inimical to the aim of a stable occupation. As the perceived protector of the Shiites and Kurds, the U.S. presence antagonizes the Sunni Arabs, and the cycle of vengeance has now taken on a life of its own. The painful paradox may be that a post-withdrawal conflagration is now inevitable. But the longer the U.S. remains in Iraq, the worse it will be. If we think we stand any chance of really pressuring the U.S. to withdraw, we had better inoculate ourselves now against charges of betraying the Iraqis to a sectarian maelstrom. Bush got us into this mess through his apparent utopian assumption that his invasion would bring democracy and stability on short order. Let's not replicate his error. Thus I wrote <clears throat> in October 2006. And, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say I told you so, especially about matters as grim and as weighty as these. But uh, what happened? The U.S. did withdraw, or staged a kind of a quasi or pseudo-withdrawal at least, in 2011. Just three years later, in 2014, you had the rise of ISIS. They seized the northern third of the country. They carried out genocide against the Yazidis. And the U.S. wound up going back in to Iraq, albeit in lesser numbers, to fight ISIS. So I've just got a terrible sense of deja vu right now. And of all of the horrors going on in the world already, the last thing we need is Afghanistan falling to the Taliban. Now, I am the first to admit that the presence of U.S. troops on Afghan soil plays into the hands of the Taliban. 
allowing them to assume the mantle and rhetoric of anti-imperialism. And I am not proffering any easy answers, least of all that the U.S. should remain in a, you know, counterproductive quagmire. But I do have three things to say in this regard. First, it is a shameful moral stain on the United States that after a 20-year military commitment, the U.S. is leaving Afghanistan under these circumstances. That after all of the rhetoric back in 2001 of rescuing Afghan women from the Taliban, we're now basically acquiescing in a Taliban takeover. Second, all right, I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, break my own rule and make a prediction because I just kind of feel it in my bones. I'm going to make a prediction that Kabul is going to fall to the Taliban on September 11th of this year. And again, I hope to the God that I don't believe in that I am wrong. But it certainly seems all too likely that they could advance that rapidly. And there would be such a sense of grim poetry to it. You know how certain dates seem to resonate in history over and over? Like the way November 9th resonates in German history? 1918, 1938, 1989. Well, September 11th already started to take on that kind of resonance in terms of the U.S. and its interactions with the Islamic world in 2012, when the Benghazi attacks on the U.S. consular outpost in that city, which turned into such a uh, a headache for Obama, happened on September 11th, 2012. So, uh, you know, my prediction is really just based on uh, what some might dismiss as a, uh, you know, mystical sense sense of poetry. Again, very dark poetry. But, uh, you know, I'd rather have it on the record that um, that I called it. And I pledge to revisit this question. I'm not just going to let it, you know, go down the memory hole if it turns out that I was wrong. I pledge to revisit this question with an update on my podcast the second week of September. And I certainly hope against hope to acknowledge that my prediction was wrong. And the last thing I have to say is all solidarity, third point, all solidarity with the Hazara women of Gore, who are now arming and forming their self-defense militias to resist the Taliban advance on their communities. And it is especially incumbent upon us peaceniks, who for all these years have been calling for a U.S. withdrawal, to do what we can to offer the Hazara women of Gore solidarity and support and visibility. Our responsibilities, and by that, I mean the responsibilities of progressives and anti-war people in the U.S., not the government. Our responsibilities do not end with the U.S. withdrawal. This has been Bill Weinberg with The Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about tonight is fastidiously documented and hyperlinked. Uh, It's really important that if you support our work, that you become a patron on Patreon. I ask only $1 per podcast. We currently have 25 supporters on Patreon. I want you, dear listener, to be the one to jack it up to 26. 
$1 per podcast, four podcasts per month, $4 a month. I think most of you can afford that. Join the Counter Vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.